Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org and please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. So there's one thing about uh, church life that's just been on my mind uh, this whole service so far and uh, not in my notes, just something I've been thinking about. And I began by praying it too, that Lord, you can save whether by many or by few. And I've always had that um, belief in my heart that God is not concerned with the numbers. We quite often are concerned with numbers. God is not concerned with the numbers. I know that the Lord can work in when there are many. I know that the Lord can work when there are few and uh, begin to do a work that grows greater. We think of an example of when they were few, uh, just again, just kind of coming as it's coming out right now, but Jonathan and his armor bearer, and uh, he had this faith, this confidence. I believe he's the one that said that God can save by many or by few. And the Philistines were causing the Israelites to hide in caves. They were just in hiding. And Jonathan uh, talked to his armor bearer and he said, you want to test the Lord in this thing? And he challenged his armor bearer. The armor bearer said, whatever you want to do, I'll do. And he goes, all right, we're going to climb up to where the Philistines, about 20 of them, there's two of us. So the odds, uh, not really in their favor, but uh, we're going to shout out. We're going to show ourselves to the Philistines. They're on the other side of this ridge. And if they yell out, uh, come up here and we'll show you a few things, then we know that the Lord is on our side and we'll go over and battle them. And they shouted out, come on, you Jewish people that we hate, we despise, get over here. Now think about this. Not only did they have to go over and battle 20, there was a great divide between them, which basically meant they had to climb down. Going down is always easy. But they also had to climb up, which is always hard. And I don't know if it was like the Princess Bride, if anybody is <laughs> familiar with that. And uh, they get to the top and the climb and there's a battle waiting and they give them a minute to rest up from the hard, high climb. I don't know if the Philistines would have had that favor with them. They would have just went into battle, I'm sure, because at that point, they most definitely had the advantage, not only by number, but, but just by energy. And yet God gave them victory. And because God gave two victory over 20, all of Israel routed the Philistines on that day. It caused others to come along and to join the battle. So be encouraged. God can work in the few. And when he works in the few, it can cause others to come along and to join in the battle. A bonus message that I was not planning on giving today. Let's get into Luke chapter 15. It is our chronological uh, journey through the Gospels. We are in lesson number 52, but we are going to concentrate today in Luke 15 because uh, this is where we're at in the accounts and largely because the first portion, the first account, the parable of the lost sheep, we looked at this before Lily and I and Nathan joining us on our vacation, went on vacation a few weeks ago. We already looked at this account, but Luke adds two more parables. So Jesus in Matthew's gospel already told of the parable of the lost sheep, but Luke adds the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son. So I knew a few weeks ago that we were going to come back to this and begin with the parable of the lost sheep. I already knew this. It's like we're coming back. We're going to look at this from Luke's gospel, chapter 15, and we're going to get the kind of the whole context of what was going on in this situation. We learn in Luke 5, 2, that Jesus said, I have not come to save the righteous, but 
sinners to repentance, to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And here Jesus gives three parables in Luke 15 that reinforces God's care over the lost and even those who did not know that they were lost. In these parables, Jesus emphasizes the importance of his mission by relating with everyone who has lost something, searched for it and found it. Has anybody ever lost anything? Have you ever went on the big search? Are you happy when you find it? Maybe sometimes you don't find. Although we looked at this parable from Matthew's gospel a few weeks ago, we're going to hit it again with the parable of the lost sheep, but we're also going to see the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the prodigal son. And then I split that final one. So I gave us four points in our message and I kept the titles as we know them best in scripture, the parable of the lost sheep, point one, the parable of the lost coin, point two, the parable of the lost son, point three. But I gave us a fourth point by dividing that final parable because the Lord showed me personally something about the other son several years ago that I think is maybe a lesson we need to hear as well. So the word parable means to cast alongside. And there was basically two purposes that Jesus began teaching this way. First, it was because those who did not believe in him, that they would not understand the mysteries of heaven. Jesus tells us this plainly. When he first began teaching by parable, back in the book of Matthew chapter 13. But secondly, he spoke in parables that those who did believe in Jesus, though through the parable, they would be able to understand the truth concerning the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. And so we begin with the parable of the lost sheep. It is found in Matthew 18, verses 10 through 14. We're going to look at it again as we begin our message here in Matthew 15, verses 1 through 7. In verses 1 and 2, the word tells us, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So these groups of parables resulted from all the people coming together to hear the word of God being proclaimed by Jesus and no better teacher, no doubt, has ever been on the face of the earth and our Savior Jesus proclaiming his own word to his people. But at that time, there were not only tax collectors and sinners, they were scribes and Pharisees, and they were complaining, they were murmuring in their hearts, not out loud, that Jesus was receiving and eating with tax collectors and sinners. So they were complaining that people were responding to the message of God who they viewed were the unrighteous, the despised of their people. Worse than that, they put in this group, the tax collectors, normally there in Israel, it would have been Jewish men to collecting taxes for the Roman government. So they were viewed as traitors. And... They were often not only traitors in the eyes of Israel, but they were often thieves. See, Rome, all they concerned with was the allotted amount that they needed to receive. So they would tell the tax collectors, this is what we need. Whatever more you might get, you can keep as long as we get what we're supposed to get. And so this is evident with John the Baptist when the tax collectors came to John the Baptist, asked him... In Luke 3.12, teacher, what should we do? John responded, Luke 3.13, collect no more than what is appointed to you. Only collect what you're supposed to collect. Does anybody like to give our government more taxes than they already get from us? We already view that they're getting more than they should. This is the same as it was in Israel. So they had this issue. They were tax collectors. They were sinners, people that were known for living unrighteous life. And Jesus was receiving them. The sinners living this lifestyle of sin compared to the righteous, righteousness that the uh, 
scribes and the Pharisees viewed themselves in, maybe only occasionally falling into sin, what they didn't understand is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus would respond in Mark 2.17, saying those who are well, speaking of the righteous, need no physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The scribes and Pharisees were mad because sinners and tax collectors were coming to Jesus. But this was the mission of Jesus Christ to call sinners to repentance. In fact, Luke 19.10 tells us, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus was doing exactly what Jesus always does and is supposed to do. And yet the scribes and Pharisees, they sought to justify themselves before God by their works and not by faith. And Paul would later write, a Pharisee, Paul, who was raised up as a Pharisee, taught by one of the great teachers, Gamaliel, who's one of the great teachers and a Pharisee himself. Paul would later on, when he came to faith in Christ, would say in Galatians 2:16, knowing that man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. For by the works of the law, no fe- faith, no flesh is, shall be justified. I should look at what I'm reading. I tried to do it without looking down. By the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So the parable came out of this situation. Verses 3 through 6 begins the parable. And Jesus spoke this parable to them. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness, go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. Even the Pharisees, the scribes, though they may not have been shepherds, maybe as young boys they were shepherds, maybe they never worked as a shepherd. In Israel, every boy was taught a trade. As we know, Paul was a Pharisee. I already mentioned that, but he was also a tent maker. He was taught a trade that if the job of being a Pharisee didn't work out so well, at least he had something to fall back on, which we know in the book of Acts that he often did fall back on tent making. Even if they perhaps never uh, did the job of a shepherd, they were familiar with shepherds. They were all over Israel. Even when Lily and I were there in Israel in 2009, we remember seeing little shepherd boys, and they were young boys in Bethlehem, watching over the flocks. It's still happening there to this day. And sheep need to be constantly watched over by shepherds. They do not care for themselves, nor can they protect themselves. Have you ever seen an attack sheep? In the church, the Lord calls us sheep, and quite often we try to become like attack sheep. We're going to fight the gospel, and uh, they don't have the teeth for it. We shouldn't have the teeth for it as well. In that sense, they needed a shepherd to watch over them. When they wandered away from the fold, they were in constant danger until they were found. Sheep are not like dogs, they're not like horses or other animals perhaps that have natural homing instinct. If they were to ever find their way back to the flock, it would most likely be by accident. They're gone, they're in trouble, something's going on. They've either been attacked, uh, maybe it's a, a ewe that is with pregnant and uh, large and uh, has fell over, rolled over, it can't get up. It needs the shepherd to come and rescue. And so when he returns, notice that he didn't go to the flock and put it back in the flock. He went to his house. He put the sheep on his shoulder, gave it a 
special place of honor, returned to his home. He called the neighbors together that they might rejoice in him. And then Jesus said, he kind of wraps up this parable, verse 7, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Now it's not that the scribes and Pharisees didn't need any repentance. Their problem is they didn't believe that they needed repentance. Jesus is going to show us in these parables that heaven is rejoicing. The Pharisees were complaining while heaven was rejoicing about the work that God was doing with what they viewed as sinners and tax collectors. And we should also rejoice. Clearly, the 99 just persons in the parables represents the Pharisees and the scribes, while the lost sheep represents the tax collectors and sinners who were coming to Jesus. Therefore, Jesus rejoiced with them. He allowed them to come and he ate with them. And should we not, if heaven is rejoicing, if Jesus is receiving, shouldn't we also rejoice with all heaven? Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We have all been like sheep who have gone astray. And the Lord Jesus Christ has come. Having the iniquity of our sins laid upon him there on the cross. That he might seek and save that which is lost. Well, the parable of the lost coin is only three verses long, very brief, but it's teaching the same message. And this is just kind of dramatically emphasizing the point that Jesus was wanting to bring cross to the scribes and Pharisees and to us as well. In the Bible, this is kind of my thing, but if the Bible says one thing, it's good. We need to trust it. If the Bible repeats it, it means the Lord is trying to get something hammered into our heads. If he has to say it three times, he means he really wants us to listen up. Here we have kind of a three time in a different way, given parables. And I think we can relate to this because maybe we have lost an animal. Maybe we have lost a possession. Maybe we have lost a child that we've all lost things in our lives, and the Lord is speaking through these parables. So, church, listen up. Verses 8 and 9, the parable of the lost coin, the parable itself, without wrapping up the point. Verses 8 and 9, first, the parable. What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the peace which I lost. So, ten silver coins. To this woman, it could mean her dowry. This was the, in their custom of their day, they still do it. Uh, Not in Western culture so much. In Western culture, it's like you need to sign a prenup. But in Eastern culture, uh, a father would give a dowry that would be representative for his daughter or the um, groom's dad would pay this dowry. It was set aside that would have money, funds set aside for the bride in case there was ever divorce or the husband would die, prematurely die. We all die, but um, maybe just to set her up that if something happened to her husband, she has no husband, she has provision through this dowry. So 10 silver coins could have represented that. One of the commentators believed that It referred to a piece of jewelry, these 10 silver coins that was worn by the bride. He said that was equivalent to today's wedding ring. And whether the dowry or a woman's wedding jewelry, it really speaks about the urgency. She lost a piece of that jewelry, a coin. She searched the house, every nook and cranny, until it was found. When she found it, she called her friends together, her neighbors together, and she rejoiced. So she 
what came to my heart was that she diligently searched out. And the Bible speaks about diligently seeking Jesus. In Hebrews 11:6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, seek God. God rewards us for diligently seeking him. And I think that Greek word, I'm not thinking, I'm looking here, but it means to seek out, to search diligently for anything that's lost. And our faith is not to be a passive faith, it's to be an active faith. We are to invest in our faith in such a way that um, we are seeking out, we are searching, we're doing our best, not works for rewards in the sense of rewards for salvation. That's what the scribes and Pharisees were up to. But because the Lord has saved us, as James says, I'll show you my works by my faith. So likewise, Jesus said, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angel of God, angels of God over one sinner who repents. So he brings back that same recap, the refrain, heaven is rejoicing. You guys are complaining, but I tell you right now that heaven is rejoicing because the tax collectors and sinners have gathered to me, that they are repenting, that I have received them, and I am eating with them. I'm having communion with them. And so he's really going after the tax collectors and sinners, the hardness of their hearts, saying that heaven's rejoicing, you guys should be rejoicing as well. And this is the theme in these parables. Um, these words that are repetitively used, kind of that same expression of joy, rejoicing. Here's the words that we find in Luke 15 that I dug out. In verse 5, rejoicing, 6 and 9, rejoice, 7 and 10, joy, 23 and 32, merry, and verse 32, glad. So being merry, joyful, rejoicing, glad. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 and 10, now rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing, for godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of this world produces death. Paul said to the church in Corinth, Rejoice! Paul said to the church in Philippi, in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And have we been guilty of complaining when we should have been rejoicing? I probably have in church life as well. You've been around church life long enough. We've probably all been guilty of that. Heaven is rejoicing. We should be joining in, rejoicing in heaven. Those words being used here, rejoicing, rejoice, joy, merry, and glad. So the parable of the lost son, a special parable in the Bible that speaks so much to so many people. Let's get into it. Verses 11 and 12. He goes on. He says, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a portion of your goods that fall on me. So he divided them his livelihood. So the prodigal son, he's disrespecting his father here. He's asking for something that was rightfully his, but the timing was all wrong. So there's two ways that he would have received his inheritance. First, dad needed to die, and he hadn't, obviously. And so he's asking prematurely, I know you're not dead yet, but I want my money. Well, that's kind of rude. Can't you wait? Or number two, maybe dad would retire. He turned the family business over to his son. Now, this is the younger son. The elder son would receive 
the double portion. He would receive the inheritance, but there would be a portion for the younger son. Obviously, there was. So the father, instead of just giving uh, the one son what would become his inheritance, he divided to both sons his livelihood. So he gave it to both sons. Verse 13, now, not after many days, the younger son gathered all together. He journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. So prodigal is a Greek word translated here as prodigal for us, but it kind of means senseless, reckless behavior to live recklessly or to live without thinking, without having concern. And people are like that quite often. I was trying to remember as I just thought of that, of when payday was for bricklayers. When I was a foreman, I handed out the checks. And I'm thinking it was usually on Friday because you wanted them to show up the next day for work in the sense if you paid them on a Monday, they might not be there on Tuesday. Some guys are like that. I just got paid. I'm going to go waste it now. I'll have minimal income for the rest of the week until I get paid again, and then I'll burn it up again. Some people are like that without thinking. And so I'm thinking in my head that maybe payday was on Friday. I don't know if that's correct or not. Can't remember that far back anymore. I am that old. When I get a little older, I'll probably remember those things in clear detail and forget the current things going on. But right now, um, I can't remember. But I do know there was a tendency for my bricklayers to get wasted and even come in wasted sometimes. And I'd have to send them away. Sometimes I would fire them. Um, and I did for coming in wasted like that. Got rid of an operator once driving machine equipment for us in Chicago. So this is Union, and so Union in Chicago, pretty big stuff. Used to be mafia stuff, too. I don't know if that's still the case, but I had the BA out there because the business agent. He was out there because I fired the operator, and we had a laborer running the machine. And I said, you send me an operator that doesn't get drunk on the job, and then I'll hire him. But until then, my laborer is going to keep running this machine. And we ended up with the best operator that we ever had because I stood my ground, and uh, besides, it was dangerous. This guy was wasted. This is the prodigal. He was wasting away his possession with prodigal living. He desired freedom, but actually only found slavery. He was not only wasting his inheritance, he was wasting his potential Jesus said in John 8, 34 through 36, Most surely I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, the son of man, if he makes you free, you shall be free indeed. The son had wasted away his possession, his livelihood, his potential, and he had separated himself from his father's house. Some people struggle today in church. This is happening post-COVID right now. And they are doing surveys. They're talking about church life and the decline in some of the churches. I was talking to one of the brothers this week uh, that is part of a church planting movement. And he said, we've had two of our churches close in the last year that there's been the decline. And what happens with certain people is that they start struggling in their faith. And instead of being in the place that could help them strengthen their faith, being around people that could help strengthen them their faith, they separate themselves and they just do more harm. It just becomes more difficult. But there's something more that I was thinking about in this is his wasting away and I'm going to just jump on this bandwagon here for a moment. Right now, there is a push for federal legalization of marijuana for recreational use in the United States. Uh, here in Illinois, medical marijuana, they're already using it. Uh, up in Michigan, in the UP, they're already doing this, other areas. 
but it's not federally recognized, although they're not criminalizing anybody for this at this point. It's just not federally recognized at this place. So this word wasted, he was wasted in wanting the part of that point for me, is that we have people who are wasting their lives. They're wasted and wanted. Uh, we know that marijuana causes, uh, deadens brain activity. Um, thinking back to my high school days, you could tell those who were pretty strong in smoking. They were slow in response. Um, I worked with a guy at Jewel for two years. And, uh, yeah, he was like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. That's how he acted. And if you guys didn't know, that was part of the character of Shaggy. That's what he was doing and probably now would show him doing it. But I also believe it's a gateway drug. And they're not even talking about, they're pushing for marijuana. Some of these states and cities have already legalized marijuana for recreational use. They're already pushing for harder drugs to be legalized as well. And so it's only stepping stones. It's only getting worse. And here's another side of it. I looked this up. This is from Forbes magazine. The total U.S. economic impact of cannabis sales is expected to reach $92 billion in 2021, and that is expected to rise to $160 billion in 2025. The industry can inject new and much-needed tax revenues for local communities. Okay, this is the positive spin. Local communities providing resources for critical public services, public projects like schools, hospitals, and roads. Uh, roads. You know, they use the same thing about legalizing gambling, um, I mean, lottery in our states. It's going to be for the schools. It's going to be for our roads. Now, think about it. Think back. That's been going on for a long time. How are the schools today? How are our hospitals doing? How are our roads doing? It's not going to be used for those things. We know it's not. But whether or whenever I think it's going to happen, marijuana or other hard drugs are legalized, for the church, for Christians, here's what the word says. It doesn't matter what our country might say. First Peter 1.13, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are called to be sober. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And right now, Satan in this parable is devouring this young man's life. And it's happening over and over again with prodigals throughout our country. And it's only going to get worse. So 14, he said, here the prodigal is spent and empty. When he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. So after spending all of his inheritance, things got worse. So first of all, he spent his relational ties with family. He spent his inheritance, and then a famine came. Economic challenges came. Food was hard to come by. Maybe if he had spent his relational ties with his family, spent all of his inheritance, and if it wasn't for the famine, maybe he would have got by. Maybe he could have been a day laborer and found some work. But even the work that he found wasn't sufficient to take care of his physical need. But at this point, he still doesn't realize he had a greater spiritual need. He needed to be born again. Jesus said in John 3, 5 through 8, or 5 through 7, Most surely I say to you, one who is born of water and the Spirit, unless he is born of water and the Spirit cannot enter the kingdom of God, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. He needed God to do a work in his life. So he was spent he spent everything he spent relational ties he spent his inheritance a famine rose up verse 15 he joined himself with the citizen of that country 
and he sent them into the fields to feed swine. So it's believed by the commentators that the prodigal was Jewish. Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience here. And if so, if the prodigal in the uh, parable of the prodigal son is Jewish man, he's in a foreign country, he's working for a Gentile man who sent him off to feed the swine. He's got everything going bad for him right now. Swine are unclean to the Jews. What made matters worse, it tells us he got so low at this point, he's not only working for a Gentile feeding uh, the Gentiles pigs, Verse 16, he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. Now the pods uh, that they use there in the Middle East, it has really no nutritional value. There, When we were in Africa, there was a dish that the Africans Ate and I ate it as well. They would uh, use this kind of, I guess it was corn, uh, masa, that they made what we might call cornbread. Uh, it was a bread. Its sole purpose was to fill their stomachs. The Africans could eat a portion of this and it would make them feel full for the day. But it really didn't have a lot of nutritional value but it would fill them up to make them feel like and not be hungry. That's kind of what this uh, pods coming from the carob tree there in the Middle East. It was sweet to the taste, but had no great nutritional value. He would have gladly filled his stomach with it. With that, it wouldn't have done him much good, but even that wasn't given to him. He was so down that even the pig's food was of higher value than feeding a human. And yet the word of God tells us in Isaiah 55, 1 through 3, I like this, ho, you don't read that in the Bible. Hey, I would say hey, they said ho. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, Come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for what is bread or your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear, come to me, hear, and your soul will live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you in the sure mercies of David. He was looking to the world and he was every step of the way becoming more empty, more empty, more empty. He started what he thought is at the height, man. I got this wealth. He ended up at the bottom and he was only getting lower. Jesus said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. We have a lot of people who believe they're at the height of what this world can give, and often they find that it's only the bottom. They need to come to Jesus. So here now, in 17 through 19, I kind of titled this, that the prodigal was broken in longing. But when he had come to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to eat and to spare? And I perish with hunger. When he came to himself, it's really speaking about his heart now turning homeward toward God. He came to himself. He, he's becoming broken. He's thinking about his life, the broken condition of his life. His heart is turning homeward. He's thinking about the goodness of his father's house and even how well off the hired servants were. They were not only fed, they had bread to spare while he was starving. I believe this is the beginning of his repentance. Sometimes repentance can come all at once, but often it comes in stages. See, he needed to take these thoughts and put it into action. He needed to take the thoughts and go. Sometimes people have these thoughts and they never go. 
They never return to the Lord. They never come to Jesus. They never show up in the church doors where they can find repentance. They have the thoughts. They have the sorrow. But it's merely sorrow of the world. Sorrow of the world leads to death. But godly sorrow leads to repentance. So he said, I will arise. I'll go to my father, verse 18 and 19. I will say to him, he even rehearsed what he would say. Have you ever done that? Maybe you need to say sorry to someone and you rehearse the process. Sometimes it doesn't turn out the way you rehearsed it, but you kind of plan it out in your mind, maybe even talking to God. You plan out what you're going to say to God. You're going to have a, a prayer meeting. You're going to prepare your heart. You're going to pray to God. He prepared himself. He said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Perhaps every mile on the way home. I don't know how far his journey was. His heart was preparing. He was rehearsing these words. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So the arise and go. It's an act of repentance. I have sinned. He said that is confession. I am no longer worthy. That is humility. All these things working together to bring about redemption. The word of God says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and heal us from all unrighteousness. In James 4, 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And he arose and he came to his father. But, and buts sometimes are very great in the Bible. And this is one of those great buts. <laughs> but, conjunction. When he was a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. I told you, this has great significance in my life. Largely because Lily and I had a prodigal for so many years. And I tell you, we live in a two-story home. And before the neighborhood grew up and the houses were all built, we were of 100 homes. I don't know how many is in our neighborhood. We were house number 10. So it took a while to get all those homes up. It took a while for the trees to grow up and get tall you know, they were only 15 feet tall. Now they're 30 or 40 feet tall. But I used to be able to stand and look out our bedroom window and see the road. And I used to stand and watch and pray. I believe the Father had this habit of standing and watching and pray. Like the Father, God is always watching. He's always waiting for his prodigals to return. This is because God is full of compassion, full of grace, long-suffering, abundant in mercy and truth. Uh, prodigals would only understand that God is waiting for them to turn in repentance. They don't even have to make it all the way. The Father is watching. All they have to do is turn their heart in the direction of the Father, and the Father will be there ready to respond. Psalm 86:15. But you, O Lord, are full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in mercy and truth. The Word of God tells us in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slacked concerning His promise, as some count slackness. But is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should repent. Any not willing, I wasn't looking again, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And so in verse fifteen, Peter also said, Consider that the long suffering of the Lord is salvation. So notice verse twenty one, the son began to say exactly what he had rehearsed. The words are are identical to a point. Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He began the confession, but 
he was cut off. He didn't get to finish it. I believe because the father would never see his son as a hired servant, though the son might see himself as that. The father would never see himself as that. All he needed to see was the attitude of true repentance and forgiveness. And that comes from God. God doesn't see us as servants. He sees us as sons, as daughters. In fact, in Romans 8:15, Paul said that we have received the spirit of adoption that we might cry out, Abba, Father. It's like saying, Daddy, Daddy. 22 through 24, the father said to his servants, South the son, Father, I've sinned against heaven, your sight. I'm no longer to be called your son. Hold that thought. Hey, servants. He called the servants. Bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Bring a ring and put it on his hand. Put sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Eat and be merry. For my son that was dead is alive again. He was lost and he is found and they began to be merry. Though unworthy, the father responded to his prodigal by placing on him the best robe, giving him the family ring, putting sandals on his feet. He called for the fatted calf to be killed and he explained, my son that was dead is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And only through faith in Jesus are we able to become part of the family of God like this son was received but the parable's not over in verse 25 through 27 the older son was in the field and as he came he drew near to the house he heard music and dancing he called one of his servants one of the servants and he said what's this mean and he said your brother has come and because he was received him safe dad received him safe the sound your father has killed the fatted calf. The older brother, though, he represented the impenitent hearts of the scribes and Pharisees. Though outwardly faithful to command of his father, he was still there. He was still working in the field. He was still doing the things that his dad had asked him to do. But when he heard that his younger brother had returned, he was not joyous. He was not happy. He was angry. Verses 28 through 30. He was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out, pleaded with him. And so he answered to his father and said, Lo, hey, man, <laughs> all these years I have been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandments at any time. Never. Come on. Never. Okay. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. First of all, his anger. The older brother refused to enter the joyful celebration, showing that his heart had become hardened toward his brother. Secondly, he argued that he had been faithful all those years without any, never one transgression. I can tell you that the scribes and Pharisees kind of felt this way in their position toward God. Hey, we're the good guys, God. Third, he was jealous that the father killed the fatted calf while he didn't even get a little goat to party with his friends. And finally, notice, he said, this son of yours. He didn't say my brother. He didn't even call him his brother. 31 and 32, the last two verses, he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It is right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus is emphasizing to the scribes and Pharisees, it's right to make merry and to be glad. For these who you deem the tax collectors, the sinners, they were lost. They were dead, but now they're alive. Now they're found. John 5, 24 most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who has sent me has everlasting life. 
shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. And in this parable, the father represents God, the older son representing the scribes and the Pharisees, while the younger son represents the tax collectors and sinners. Um, Let us not be like the scribes and Pharisees. Let us be willing to rejoice like the servants were doing. As servants of God, may we rejoice with the angels of God over the salvation even of one. So the three parables, they targeted the condemnation of the scribes and Pharisees who had rejected Jesus' fellowship with the tax collectors and sinners. The tax collectors and sinners were equivalent to the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son but each being welcomed with rejoicing, with merriment, with gladness after they had been found. Likewise, the scribes and Pharisees, they were equivalent to the 99 sheep, the nine coins, uh, the older son, who never outwardly wandered away, but they were in the wilderness, so to speak, in their relationship with God. You know, someone who has 100 sheep, And if that person is like, man, what's going on? You look bummed today. I lost one of my sheep. They might say, well, at least you got 99 more. Maybe to a woman who had 10 coins, like, why so bummed? I lost one of my 10 coins, my dowry. Well, at least you have nine more. And even those who are very hard-hearted, someone who has two sons and one is gone, at least you have one. (laughs) That doesn't even work in my equation, but people are like that. Yet Jesus used these equations of 100 to 1, of 10 to 1, of 2 to 1 to show us that God is always concerned about the one. He's always concerned about you. He's concerned about me. Remember, Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. And we have all at one point qualified in that. For those who know Jesus as their Savior, you are those who are alive. You've been found, and you are no longer lost. You've been saved. But those who have not yet returned, you are in that place of being lost. But know that the Father is watching, and He is waiting. All you need to do is turn and respond, and you'll find that the Father is there, arms wide open, ready to receive. Father, thank You for Your Word. And thank you for this chapter in the Gospels. What a beautiful Lord. These three parables teaching us great truths. Lord, that you are always waiting, always ready to forgive for those who humble themselves in repentance and come to you, that they will find life. Though they were lost, they will be found. Though they were dead, they will be alive. For us in the church, Lord, let us rejoice with heaven when people turn to you in life-saving faith. For those, Lord, who don't know you yet or have not turned to you or they are prodigals, Lord, bring them home. Bring them home, we pray. This day, in the name of Jesus, amen. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.